0: welcome to taking control of your financial life podcast providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future let's get you the answers you need about retirement investing asset planning and the current market here's your host julian rubinstein
1: hello everyone and welcome to taking control of your financial life my name is julian rubinstein and i'm the host of this podcast I'm also the president of American Asset Management, a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton. I'm very excited about today's show as we have a guest, Adam Carroll, with a very, very unique background and career. So join me in welcoming Adam to the show. Hello, Adam.
0: Hello, Julian. Thanks for having me.
1: So you started to tell me about your career, but it's very interesting and it's very deep. So why don't you start with our listeners to give them a little bit about you?
0: Yeah. Well, going in the Wayback Machine, I graduated from college as a debt statistic, as many people do and did in my years and even more so today. And um, a good friend of mine encouraged a couple of books, Julian, ones you probably have on your bookshelf, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Cash Flow Quadrant. And I immediately was hooked on personal finance. I started reading every book I could get my hands on. So I read The Wealthy Barber and The Richest Man in Babylon and Think and Grow Rich and on and on and on. They went from the 1930s until you know current date. And um, it occurred to me that if I had read all these books and I was practicing it, then I could probably teach it. And so I started when I was 28, I started a seminar company and started teaching financial literacy to the public. So that was that was my beginning.
1: Okay, very interesting. Um, And tell us what you're doing now.
0: Well, over the years, you know, I was out. I was doing engagements. I was learning all sorts of things from the people I was speaking with. And it occurred to me that, you know, lots and lots of folks were dealing with copious amounts of debt and they were trying to figure out how to make their life work while also paying down or paying off debt and or investing at the same time. And I was introduced to this this idea known as an Australian mortgage. Don't know if you've ever heard of this. No, I've not. So there was a bank in Australia years ago that in addition to giving someone a mortgage, they would give them what they called a sweep account. And the sweep account was basically all of your income would go in the sweep account and the sweep account would allow you to make lump sum payments to your mortgage, thereby paying your mortgage off quickly. And not probably not a great business model for the bank that was going to make a ton of money on mortgages, but it was great for the users, for the consumers. And so a vast majority of Australians at the time did not have a mortgage on their property because of this Australian mortgage. So they started bringing this concept over the United States, and um, I was introduced to the concept and then found a piece of software that actually does the calculations for you. So it would tell you what to do with your income to make sure it was the most efficient use of it possible. And I ended up procuring the source code from the owner about three years ago, and we're now building a software company where we're teaching people how to deleverage to a certain extent so that they can use the equity in their home to then go optimize it elsewhere. So in effect, we're clawing back some of the interest that we're paying to the banks in the early years of our mortgage. Maybe a goal to pay it off, maybe not. It depends on a person's situation. But we then show them, okay, now that you have liquidity, or some might call it equity in your home, but liquidity for sure, where do you place that liquidity to make sure you're, you know, you're making the best use of it?
1: So you're having people take out like home equity loans,
0: We'll we'll often use a, a line of credit. It could be home equity. It could be a personal line, a business line of credit. In some cases, when people say, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to use a HELOC, what we'll do is we'll set up a side, what we would call a shred account that could be, you know, a portion of emergency savings. But we'll also say, Hey, if you need access to money, let's have a, a line of credit in place just in case. But you could use that side account too, that's typically money that hasn't been touched in some time, you know, the age old wisdom of six to 12 months worth of living expenses in the bank.
1: Right. So I get it. Right. You keep the HELOC for that, and then at least put that six to eight months to work.
0: That's right. That's exactly right.
1: And what do you usually recommend they do with that money? What kind of investments do you like?
0: You know, in this day and age, I'm going to go back just a a minute on this, Julian, because I, this may be news for you. It probably won't be news for you, but maybe news for your, for your users, but I found that the market or or retirement as usual uh, may be in question. And I I find that there's going to be a lot of people that are, you know, currently in their mid sixties and maybe even early 70s that are living on their investments. But then when the market declines 20 or 30%, they find themselves a little frantic about, am I going to outlive my money? And so I like the idea of maxing out 401ks and Roth IRAs. But I also think there ought to be some alternative investments out there. And that could be real estate. That could be syndications. It could be something that's generating passive income at the very least, because I think that more and more people, if you're really mapping out your financial future, it's not about working until you're 65 or 70. It's about having enough passive income at some point in your life that supersedes your your expenses. And so that's really what we're after is looking for some of those those alternative investments that will generate some cash flow in one way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, we do the same thing. We really most of our clients uh, want income, so we we really believe that income is really important because growth sounds great until it stops growing and then it starts yeah. to decline.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think what the shred method does, it begins to create some certainty along with the passive income of what the future looks like. So, you know, as an example, we have clients who will they'll shred their mortgage to a certain extent. Let's say they start with a $500,000 mortgage and they shred it down to 250 or even 200 in some cases. And many of them will do that within three or four years. They'll get it down that fast. And then what we suggest to them is, okay, now that you've got it down and the majority of your payment's going to principal, would you rather have a lower mortgage payment and just have access to that equity? In which case we do a recast of the mortgage so if they've still got twenty six or twenty seven years left on their mortgage, and ideally they're at a three or four percent interest rate, if they're at six, you know we have different strategies for that. But at, at three or four percent, you know we could recast the mortgage down to two hundred thousand dollars, and they'll be left with a thousand dollar mortgage payment in many cases. And so our goal then is, well, how do we create enough passive income that supersedes your living expenses, and now you you live free. And that's our goal for, for people is to live free within five or six years. So all housing expenses are covered. And then at that point, your work is could be somewhat optional, but you're working certainly because you enjoy what you do. And, and it's not because you have to go to work to cover the huge net that you have every month.
1: Got it. So you deal with a lot of people. What would you say is the biggest financial mistake people do that you, when you encounter them?
0: There is an assumption that my high income is going to last me forever. And so they lifestyle up according to their income. I think that's probably the biggest mistake. Um, secondarily to that, and it may be a component of that, is there's no real long-term planning from my perspective. You know, people will look out maybe a year or three years or five years, but I like to to plan with people. And I'm sure you do this in your practices. They say, what does 20 years out, 30 years out, 50 years out look like? What do you want your grandchildren to experience? Because we can start creating a plan around that, that isn't necessarily restrictive in terms of your lifestyle. Um, you'll, you'll make some different choices perhaps, but it's amazing. Some of the sacrifices you make today, what even five or 10 years out, you know, can, can look drastically different. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. People, I think tend not to want to do financial planning because they're afraid, they're afraid of the answer. They're afraid of how much you're going to tell them they have to save in order to retire at a certain age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally agree. And, and I would add to that, that the power of the shred method is when someone says, well, how would I ever put away 20 or $30,000 extra a year, a hundred thousand extra a year. And we say, well, right now you're sending $30,000 a year to your bank or more, you know, depending on the mortgage size, some people are sending 50 or 60,000 a year in, in interest to their bank. And when we start to claw that back and say, you know, what if you were, you were sending half of that amount to your bank and the rest was actually building your net worth and creating more equity in your property that you could then, you know, displace or replace into something else. It's just interesting. You know, it's, it's not magic what we're doing, but it is math. And I think this is something that's not really being taught in, in society today.
1: I agree with you hundred percent. What's something that you share with every client? Like what's your go-to one piece of advice like you, that you like to share?
0: My go-to piece of advice is well, my real go-to which is somewhat based on a TED talk that I gave at the London Business School a few years ago, it's that kids are expensive but they don't have to be. You know, the USDA says that it will cost upwards of $280,000 to raise a child from 0 to 18, and that's not including college costs or or other education costs. And um and yet some of that I think can be offset by educating your children financially and really bringing them up where they manage their own money. I think too many parents have conflated love and struggle. So they'll say, well, I love my kids. I don't want them to struggle. And in reality, you know, the struggle is what makes us able to survive life's woes. And so we we want our kids to struggle actually. And we definitely want them to struggle financially when they're young because as my son asked me one day he said dad are we rich and and i said well what makes you ask that and he said well the neighbor the some of my buddies were talking about the neighbors bought a new tesla and you know they've also got this other car in their driveway and so i they were talking about them being rich are we rich and i said son your mom and i are very comfortable you have nothing <laughs> <laughs> cuz it's not us that's she and i that's not them and yet there's a lot of kids that are raised in families where they're like oh yeah we're rich meaning my parents are well off and therefore i am also well off right and they grow up thinking that they are well off and start to spend like they are in their you know their teens and early 20s and then quickly realize they're actually not or they're on their parents you know financial uh, economic outpatient support plan which doesn't work
1: i I always joke the one thing kids never leave though is your cell phone plan
0: that is true that is true. I don't know how old they are? They
1: somehow hang on to that cell phone plan. Yeah, that's right. But then, but then we cheat on their Netflix, and Spotify. So we get we we claw some back.
0: No doubt, no doubt about it. Netflix may be bringing an end to that whole train, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, what did I hear that, what, Netflix has uh, like two billion users and hundred million paid <laughs> subscribers. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I understand you do. You do you also do uh, workshops and speaking engagements, or what else do you do?
0: I do. You know, it used to be, there was a, a point in time in my life, I do 50 or 60 of those a year, Julian, and I'm down to maybe 20 or 30 that I will go do. And some of that is is just a byproduct of the software company and spending more time in that. And the other is just deciding there are audiences that I, I really want to be in front of. And some that, that don't really match the message or what I'm espousing, but I love it. It's kind of it's my retirement plan, candidly, that I will always speak. I will always write another book and go out and promote the book and talk about it because there's some dopamine hit that I get, some drug that uh, you can only get from being on stage and coming off after really connecting with an audience.
1: And now, how do you get compensated? Do they pay you for this help as a consultant or is it through products? How does that work?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And. When I started out, it was just pure speaking engagement uh, fees. So I would get a speaking fee to come out and present. And then I realized the power of creating content. So I wrote books. I created audio programs and online courses. Um, I did a documentary on student loan debt that we ended up selling to CNBC at one point. So I consider myself or did at one point a media preneur because I really like media. I like creating content and then turning around and selling it. So it's been kind of a combination of, you know, me getting paid just to open my mouth and then me getting paid to uh, sell my wares so to speak.
1: So you don't actually deal with individual clients.
0: We do on the software side, you know, we've got a number of subscribers for the shred method, um, but nothing, nothing client oriented, nothing where I personally am working with clients. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: So with all your success, what's your biggest challenge right
0: now? Oh goodness. I have long held this problem. And I think my dad may have cursed me years ago it, when I was, Probably in my early 20s, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, he said, Adam, your challenge will never be a lack of opportunity. Your challenge will be deciding which opportunity to pursue. And it's been true. So the challenge I think today, Julian, is there's so many really cool opportunities to invest, cool business ideas to go, you know, to follow the, the rabbit trail. And my challenge has been that. I see one and I get really excited for a period of time and then I see something else and I want to go after that. And so I made a commitment to one of my business partners that the shred method is it. This is our one, our one Avenue, the one thing to quote the title of the book. It's the one thing we're going after and we'll probably go after it for the next six or seven years with the hope of it becoming an acquisition target at some point. Cause we think as far as fintechs go, it will be a great business. There's a lot of data our clients are really solid, you know, they're investors, they want to be investors. So we think we're building a really, really unique community. And right now I'm committed to the success of that. So that's my biggest challenge is keeping the blinders on and keeping everything at bay.
1: Now, now what's your favorite investment today?
0: I really, really love syndications because I, I went for a number of years, I was a real estate investor and I managed my own properties. And I was still building my speaking business at the time. And my wife would say, you're going over there again, or you have to go to that house again. How much time did you spend over there? And it occurred to me that if I could invest in real estate and still get a K-1 and be treated like a partner, but never have to set foot in another piece of real estate, that would be glorious. And when I was introduced to the whole syndication world, and I met a couple of syndication partners that I really trust implicitly, I think I found my nirvana investment Okay, I, I get great, great tax benefits, great income, and I never have to set foot and deal with tenants.
1: Okay. That's great. Well, how, what is the best way for clients? Should they just go in, you know, onto your website and buy the software? What's the best thing to do if they wanted to start, you know, working with you?
0: Yeah. Anyone that's intrigued enough to, to know more about the shred method can go to theshredmethod.com. We've got a 20, 25 minute, masterclass that you can take, and it'll teach you everything you need to know about how to use the system. And then if you were so inclined, we have a, a deep dive course that goes into all the nuts and bolts, the math behind it. And then the software itself, we like to call a behavior modification tool. And so what it does, Julian, is it it literally will tell you day by day, week by week, what should you do with the money coming in? Because it's tracking income expenses, the debts you're paying off, the investments you're making. But the shredmethod.com is the very first place to go. And then if you want to know more about me, adamcarroll.info is the best site to go there.
1: Okay. Well, Adam, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. It was very, very eye opening and a lot for me to learn. And maybe we'll have you back on the show soon.
0: I'd love it, Julian. I appreciate the opportunity to share this with your audience. Keep doing what you do. Thanks very much. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.